0: Hey everyone, I'm your host, Alex Taylor, co-founder of Parallel. Welcome to Parallel Lives, a podcast where we learn about the tireless yet vibrantly challenging role the women we admire most live in parallel to their careers and personal pursuits, becoming and being a mom. Today's guest is Erin Carpenter. She's a mom of two and also the founder of Nude Bar, an intimate line that reflects the diverse world we live in. Erin has a fascinating story. She talks about how she miscarried while in the midst of fundraising. She shares her fears around birthing due to the high mortality rates of Black mothers in NYC. And we got real about the postpartum chapter too. I hope you enjoy our chat. Erin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you. Likewise. You have had such an interesting story and journey. And today you are a mother to two beautiful girls, a three-year-old and a three-month-old.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) And you have built an incredible business that's backed by some incredible women like Serena Williams and Whitney Wolf, the founder of Bumble. And You are on the precipice of such an exciting moment in your career as your business continues to grow, but you're also managing this role of being a mom. Can you catch us up to what you've been doing with your business to today? Give us the background in your story.
1: Yes. So I founded Nude Bar in 2009. At the time, it was more of a lifestyle business. I started it with $3,000 of my dancer savings. So I used to be a professional dancer and a commercial actress, and I used that $3,000 from some of the proceeds I got from doing an American Airlines commercial and a few residual checks that I collected which is really $3,000 is like no money to start any type of business, especially a consumer products business. Uh, But I felt really compelled to solve this problem because in my industry at the time, it was required to have flesh toned or nude tights, underwear, Dance shoes, etc. But typically, nude only came in beige. And I'm not a beige person, I'm brown. And so, what would be required of me is I would have to dye my tights on a weekly basis. I would have to either spray paint my dance shoes to be the brown closest to me, or I'd have to use cheap makeup foundation and pat the that foundation onto the shoe, which in the industry, we call it pancaking. Like it's, it's so normalized that there's terminology around it, which is pretty crazy. So I just felt really compelled to solve this problem. I kept hearing other artists complaining about it constantly and I started with my dance community. I was literally going on castings and everything regularly through my agent and carrying around tights in my dance bag all the time, either telling other artists and performers about them or talking to the wardrobe department like, "Hey, we you know, people really need this." And so that's kind of the early days and origin of Nude Bar. Uh, Fast forward some time later, I did bootstrap the business from 2009 until 2019. uh, And I bootstrapped it by either being a performer and in the industry, or I was teaching bar fitness classes, uh, usually early mornings and evenings. I would teach about 15 to 20 classes a week, even through my first pregnancy, I was doing this until about 35 weeks, because those were the resources that I felt that I had at the time. And so- In 2018, um, Serena Williams became an anonymous customer, which I eventually found out who she was. Uh, And then, you know, that led into conversations around her becoming an investor, which she and Whitney Wolfe Heard were hosting a pitch competition together to invest in women of color. And I ended up winning that competition. So they became my first two investors. And then that's when I started scaling up the business a bit more. Mm -hmm.
0: Got it. And during this time, you must have had your first daughter, if I'm doing the math correctly.
1: Mm Yep. So in 2018, I was pregnant, which was around the time that uh, Serena was a customer and I was having these conversations. And that period was very hard for me as a founder because I was already pitching a lot and I felt like, gosh, it's really hard as a woman and just like an everyday woman um, just out there pitching and trying to get funding. And then now I'm pregnant, I felt like I had to hide it for a really long time. I didn't tell a lot of people. I didn't post about the journey on social media. So I didn't really have like a lot of public celebratory time uh, about it because I was worried about what it would do or how it would impact my business or any conversations that I was having with investors in the pipeline.
0: Interesting. And behind the scenes, did you consciously plan to start a family? And in those that exploration, were you afraid because of what you just described? Absolutely. So, you know,
1: I would say that My husband and I probably would have started a family earlier if I wasn't so nervous about it and afraid of what will happen to my business. He is very excited about what I do as well and empowers me in any way that he can. But ultimately, he's like, it's your decision. It's, you know, it's your body. It's your business. So whenever you're ready is how he was approaching it. But I felt like that was such a hard decision to put, you know, on me, like almost it felt like by myself, right? Like I had to decide to pull the trigger and say, okay, let me stop my birth control and let's get pregnant Um, without knowing what the journey would be like and not knowing how it would impact my lifestyle. I knew that Like I said, I was bootstrapping the business by teaching 15 to 20 fitness classes a week. And I knew that would eventually have to stop because physically I would not be able to do it. Right. And this was the way this was the only way I was funding my business. So that was terrifying for me. Like, how am I going to fund the business? Where are these resources going to come from? So definitely tons of fear from that perspective. And then there was the fear of, you know, the poor statistics and numbers around the Black maternal health crisis and how many Black women are dying um, either, you know, during their pregnancy or labor and then even sometimes postpartum after birth.
0: Mm hmm. That is a lot to digest and a lot to consider personally, but also professionally. You can't win either direction you look. So when you saw that positive pregnancy test, how did you figure you could go on? How did you plan to go about this? You know, you you knew you were afraid, like how did you work through that mentally?
1: Yeah, well, it wasn't a surprise per se. Like we, were, we decided we'll do it and we'll start trying. So I felt excited to embark on this new journey with my husband, with my partner. Um, I know that for him being a dad was extremely important. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, I can make that happen. And it was also important to me too. Um, But, you know, there, I I would say every day there was still fear. You know what I mean? It it wasn't like an overnight, oh, I'm pregnant and it's so exciting, you know, and and it was exciting, but there was still a lot of fear every day of like, oh my gosh, can I do this? How will I keep the business going? Um, Every pitch meeting, like... What if they find out? What are they going to say? And how long can I hide this? And should I? But you know, I actually spoke to another female founder around the time to- around that time, and she kept encouraging me that you shouldn't hide your pregnancy. One, because if it is an issue for partners, investors, vendors, whomever you're working with, you don't want to work with them anyway. Um, and yeah, and I totally subscribe to that now. But that was a bit hard for me to get you know, into at the time and to feel like it was real and valid. Um, But I thought about that every day. I thought about that every day. And I think every day I got more and more comfortable as I would, you know, think about what she said uh, with that idea of like, you know what, I don't want to work with those people anyway, if they're not okay with it.
0: Yeah, You realize that when it comes to such a massive change in our lives, the idea of Of having a child or starting that journey. It's such a gravitational shift in our lives. And so many of us, I think, have this knee-jerk reaction to think, oh, there's going to be this perfect time in my life when I can have a baby. There'll be blue sky conditions, 72 degrees and sunny. Great. But the reality is there's never a good time. You know, there's really never a good time, and we can always make those excuses. So it's tremendous that you just went forward. And with regards to the Black maternal mortality rate, tell us a little bit more about that. Did you seek out a special doctor? Did you get any support, doula? How did you work through that? So I had a lot of conversations and educational
1: moments with a really good friend of mine named Rachel Nix. She has a company called Birth Queen. Yeah. And so actually she is the one that told me about Parallel and how I ended up subscribing and being a customer. Rachel is a really good friend of mine. Her oldest is 10 months older than my oldest as well. So I spent a lot of time with her throughout her pregnancy. We spent a lot of time together when she was getting doula certified and, you know, and lactation consultants or all the things. So we had a lot of in-depth conversations around what the crisis is, what it looks like, how scary it is. Um, things that I should consider, you know, when I'm looking for a healthcare provider, things of that nature. So, you know, I took that information and, you know, I looked at, you know, the options. I knew some things that I wanted to avoid. And um, she ended up being my doula (laughs) during both births. Um, So she was there with my husband and I, uh, which is really special because she's someone I love and I trust and I felt comfortable with her being there and advocating for me. So, yeah, I mean, the, those are really the things that I did to prepare. But in some ways, I guess sometimes I wonder, is too much information not good? Because I feel like I did, you know, study. I did listen to a lot of birth stories, good and bad. And, and sometimes that information put more fear in me. Um,
0: yeah, I get that. I totally get that. Let's rewind for one moment. You said she shared some things to look out for and some tips when it came to finding a practitioner and preparing. Can you share some of those suggestions or what what was most helpful in terms of the things she shared with you?
1: Yeah, so some of the questions that were recommended were to ask my provider, you know, what were like their C-section rates, what were their mortality rates, and a lot of times as The patient, you don't think that it's okay to ask those questions. I mean, it's a difficult conversation, right, to have. Um, But just being able to ask those questions and making a list of questions I want to ask before I go into every appointment so that I don't feel that I'm being talked over or talked at, things of that nature. And so with the provider that I selected, um, they did have a diverse group of doctors within that practice. So I felt really good about that. Um, that was important to me. Uh, although my doctor is not a Black woman, I, I did feel like she. there was a lot of different perspectives within the practice that I felt really comfortable with. Um, Yeah. And then just like thinking about the hospital, like where I want to deliver. That's actually where I started first was like, well, where do I want to deliver? And then I looked for the practice that I felt the most comfortable with that delivered at that hospital.
0: What was your criteria for selecting a hospital? And how did you get that information?
1: Yeah, for the hospital. Um, so my first birth was at a hospital that also had a birth center. They since have gotten rid of it. Um, and so the, the practice ended up moving because they were really big on like women's rights and, you know, having the option to be in a birth center and have, you know, a labor and a birth that didn't have a lot of intervention, um, so that was important to me. I hoped to have as little intervention as possible. Those were the goals that I had on my list, and I wanted to have the opportunity and have the option versus no, we you can only go this way. You're going to be in the OR, you know, etc.
0: Yeah, got go it. Wow. So you worked through these fears by educating yourself, getting yourself a great support system personally to work through your pregnancy and birth. And then professionally, did you have a support system within your workplace to be there for you throughout this journey? Did you have a team? How did your team come to understand your situation as you were pregnant and caring for yourself, but also building the business? What did that look like? Uh,
1: First birth, not so much. Second birth was a lot, there was a lot more support professionally, but first birth, you know, and that time in my business, I was kind of by myself, you know, through a lot of it, I've had a couple of 1099, you know, team members or contractors, but I didn't have any full-time people. I didn't have any W2 employees at the time. So, you know, it was kind of like, Hey guys, we're working project by project. I'm pregnant. And, um, you know, I texted everybody when I went into labor and was like, hey, I'm going to the hospital. I'll see you maybe in a week. I'm not sure. It's, wow. That's pretty much how that went. So there wasn't a ton of professional support. We didn't have, you know, any investors behind us at that particular time. Um, fast forward to the second time around, I would say, you know, most of my investors, angels and VCs were extremely supportive. My lead investor was really adamant about me taking a maternity leave and just he's a father of four children. But he was like, it's important for you as a leader to take the time off. Um, he really wanted me to take longer time off than I did. But we agreed to an, a minimum amount, which was six weeks, which is what I ended up doing. Um so yeah, I really appreciated that. I really appreciated that one as a man, two as my lead investor who I do spend a lot of time with, that he was really supportive of, you know me, one having, more children, you know, having a family and being a holistic human, you're not just so, you know, focused in on the business. Um, and then I also talked to Katrina Lake, who is one of our investors as well. Um, she's a mother as well. And um, I did have a, a conversation with her before we got pregnant, actually um, just around like, when's the right time to have baby number two? Like, yeah, <laughs> I know there's never a perfect time, but like, Two is a little different. When do you think? And, you know, she encouraged me that there, again, there is no perfect time, you know, just like you were saying. And that if it's important to you, if family is the most important thing to you, do that. Do family. Like have your children, have your family, be a mom, do your thing. You'll figure it out. You'll figure out all the other moving parts in the business. And so, being able to talk to someone like her that's super successful, um, you know, is just an amazing person was, gave me a lot of confidence to do the whole process and to just feel, feel good about
0: it. So it sounds like you have such an incredible support system, both professionally and personally, but I'm curious, how did you build up this network of other moms and women who you could turn to for advice?
1: Yes. For other moms and women, It turns out that a lot of my friends were pregnant around the same time. And so, you know, I felt comfortable asking them questions. I think all of them, I had expressed at some point my fears around, you know, how this would impact me professionally. And a lot of them would say, it's going to be fine. You're going to figure it out or even Rachel used to tell me, actually, I've gotten more opportunities, more abundance of opportunities have come to me after having my children than before. And I've gotten really, really focused about my work and like times that I'm working. And although I was kind of leery of that (laughs) feedback, um, I found that to be really true. Like I found like so many amazing opportunities came, which feels like out of the blue, but you know, it didn't, it it wasn't happening at the same pace for me prior to having children. And I had to be really focused and organized with my time. Um, and I felt I was able to learn that through other women, other, you know, people in the community that I have.
0: Absolutely.
1: And moms are always introducing each other to other moms like, oh, you got to meet this mom, you got to meet that mom, you know? So it's just the community ends up growing, the support grows. Yeah.
0: It's just beautiful. I find that even when I'm at the grocery store and I see another mom with a kid, I'm like, you got this, girl. <laughs> it's mm-hmm, just, it's mm-hmm. it's so hard and you have a new level of empathy and respect for other people who are parenting and raising children. It's a lot of work. So as you were going through your fundraise, you had a pretty intense experience. Walk us through that.
1: Yeah, so my... I guess, second round of fundraising. So I'd already raised the seed round. And then I was raising a little more money, a seed extension um, around the time that we were working on getting pregnant with the second baby. Um, And we got pregnant pretty quickly. So you know, that felt exciting. Um, and then a few weeks into fundraising, as you know, I was kind of picking up momentum. I was pitching probably like four times a day, which is pretty intense while you're running a business. And as a solo founder, um, I was in between meetings and I noticed I was bleeding, I was spotting between the meetings and like my heart just sank. Like, oh my God, I hope this isn't happening. I hope this is just you know, some random spotting and nothing. It's not a big deal. And eventually it picked up. I think I had like maybe 30 minutes to 45 minutes between the meeting, but yeah, it ended up picking up and I was like, I, I feel that I'm probably miscarrying. Um, but I felt like I had to go into the next meeting. The next meeting was a big deal. It was important. And you know, I felt like I had to put on my performance of, you know, that pitch and that meeting. And I I didn't have a lot of time to process. Um, I mean, I definitely texted my husband and my mom and dad, like, hey, I think and I even texted, I think, Rachel, like, I think this is what's happening. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think that's what's happening. I'll call you after this meeting kind of a thing. So yeah, wow. I mean, I don't I, I don't know. I wish that I could have maybe had the comfort level to to just cancel the meeting and like deal with my body but i also felt like well what if it's not happening and i don't want to alarm people and make a big deal out of something that isn't something um but yeah but
0: yeah yeah. and as a founder i can relate to this you put everything on the line for your business and it's for the benefit of your family you're doing this for your kids for your family And when there's those opportunities, it's not to be selfish just for the business. It's also, you know, this is, I'm doing this to help my family. So it's interesting how that drive kicks in, in some of these moments. And it sounds like that might've propelled you to go through that meeting. Um, But there was also so much uncertainty, you know, looking back on that moment in your life, would you have dealt with it differently?
1: I think for, you know, going into the meeting, I probably would have still taken the meeting. But I think once it was determined that I was that I did miscarry, um, I was told to take it easy physically. So like I didn't work out for the week, but I didn't stop working for the week. I wish that I would have taken a week or two off, um, mentally and physically, just to, you know, fully recover from that. And I think, like, when you, even though miscarriages are fairly common, there's a lot of shame around it, and just like, why did this happen to me? Is it my fault? Did my body fail me? Um, was I putting too much stress on my body? And I would say, you know, that was a stressful time in the business in general. There's a lot of pressure as a VC-backed business to scale quickly, grow quickly. Then there's times you run out of money and you're like raising again. You know, it's it's such a a, a race. It's it's intense. And so, you know, at, at times I would wonder if is all of that pressure worth it? Is that pressure why this happened, you know, and I don't feel like I had a, a lot of time to reflect.
0: It's a lot to process. I mean, we started introducing a new policy at my company where, you know, we have leave for loss because we need time to process and cope with these things. It's a lot. And unfortunately it is, it is common and we need to give women that support, when you miscarried, had you already told people that you were pregnant? Did you, obviously you had your your immediate family and Rachel, but had you had announced the pregnancy by then? No, it was pretty early on.
1: Um, so I hadn't announced it. I think I might have told like some of my leadership people on the team, um, which were like two people, but that was about it. I didn't really tell a lot of people, so...
0: You know, it's interesting. We all have this idea that we have to wait until, you know, the twelve week mark to tell people. And many times we miscarry, or we we might not. And sometimes it's someone's first time hearing that you even were pregnant when you tell them that you've miscarried. Um, did you have that experience with any of your your friends? And what was that like?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people were surprised. They were like, "Wow, I didn't even know you were pregnant. Oh my gosh!" Um, and so it's it's. Kind of weird, right? Because you're like living in secret, you know, during that time that you're not telling people, and then this crazy thing happens to you, like a miscarriage or you know a loss, and yeah, it's it's just really strange being pregnant in the early days. Yeah, it
0: is. Yeah, I'll never forget that first three months. I was so you're sick. sick. Yeah, yeah, you're sick. And you're like trying not to tell anybody. It's just, and then strange. I'm like, why yeah. didn't I? Because I tell everyone. Anyway, because mm-hmm. I'm going to need my friend's support. It's an it's an interesting game we play as women. Maybe it's not a game. It's just the way we've been conditioned to to communicate around this milestone in our life, and maybe we need to change it. You know, maybe we all do need to be a little more open because it is so common. And then we have the support when we need it. So you worked through this miscarriage and. How long did you wait before you tried again and had your beautiful baby number two? Your rainbow Uh, baby.
1: Yeah, my rainbow baby. We got pregnant um, like two months after, I think, something like that. Um, So it was fairly quick. I think we felt like we felt ready you know to be pregnant just in general so we just kind of kept going with the process
0: um after you know i had to heal physically and and things of that nature mm-hmm. got it so now you're a mom to these two beautiful girls how have you changed since becoming a mom oh since becoming a mom in
1: general I try to set a lot of boundaries between like work time and personal time. Like once you know six o'clock comes and I have to get my daughter from daycare. Of course, things might come up here and there, but I really try to spend that time with her, my oldest one. It was only her, um, and you know up until bedtime. And then I might block off a little bit of time after bedtime to you know answer a few extra emails or you know anything like that, but. Yeah, just being really thoughtful about my calendar and the time that I am spending with her. With two, it's like, I really can't squeeze in anything with the two because I'm, you know, double fisting it. I'm you know, doing bath time with both of them. One is in the sink, one is in the tub. It's like, well, I can't be texting and, you know, replying to Slack messages in the middle of that. It's just like, it's literally impossible. But it's good because it forces me to really be present with them. Um, And I, I feel like I... Get to see all of those moments and not miss them, um, and that's important to me. I realize that that's important because they're never going to be this small again. They're never going to be this age again, and so I'm just really enjoying soaking it up. That's so lovely. Uh, I'm probably I'm probably way more like sappy now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mom. love it.
0: <laughs> I know it opens up all of our sweet spot. So, is there anything though that you've learned from being a mom that you bring into your life professionally? I would
1: say empathy, like empathizing with people, um, my personality in general, and then even professionally has always been just like fairly rigid and um, structured, you know, this is the way it is, and this is how we're doing it. And so having a little more EQ in general, personally and professionally, I think has benefited me from um, being a mom, uh, really being able to understand where people are coming from. And, You know, I think the biggest thing that I've learned more recently in business is that being an entrepreneur and and being a business owner is a lot of people management. And so there is a lot of that, you know, those moments where you have to be more sensitive to where people are at. And the pandemic also pushes you to do that because people are going through a lot um, and you're not with them physically all the time to really see and feel, you know, what's going on with them.
0: Absolutely. Such a great point about developing a stronger EQ through motherhood. It's mm-hmm. so important and, and beautiful that you're bringing that into the workplace. So you're postpartum still. I mean, your youngest is three months. How's it going? How are you managing? Did you take a maternity leave? Where are you at right now?
1: Yeah, I did take a maternity leave. I, I That was a, a goal of mine. So I did six weeks. Um, I did like a four-week check-in because I was also nervous about will I be okay, (laughs) like completely separate? Like, I've never done that. Like, I don't really go on vacation and like actually just vacation. There's, you know, definitely moments where I'm like checking in, seeing what's happening in the Slack channel, things of that nature. So I really did try to take this time to just be with my baby and, you know, nurse her all the time and, you know, sleep when I can and not be online. Um, So I'm proud of myself that I did that. Um, of course, there were a few things that maybe I had to chime in on here and there, but for the most part, I was like offline. Um, and then, you know, after coming back to work, I struggled with childcare. Um, I had like a part-time person then I like found someone to kind of fill gaps and then they ended up not working out. And that just became like a really big project, like just childcare in general, Um, And I think, you know, when I came back in my mind, I thought this is, you know, because I'm a structured person, I'm going to come back. I'm going to have, you know, these windows of work time. Um, You know, I'm going to be pumping at these times. I felt really organized about how I was scheduling my life and, you know, it didn't really go that way. Uh, And so last week was actually my, my first week of full-time childcare. And I've, Most of most of postpartum, I've had an oversupply of milk, Um, and this week I've noticed my milk supply has dropped pretty significantly from last week to this week, and that's stressful and scary, and you know especially now with the formula, you know, crisis and. What if you know? What if my milk does you know go away and I and we have to do formula and then we're in that scramble of finding formula? Like all of it is just you know really stressful. I'm also starting to have the postpartum shedding, so like my yes. hair is falling out. <laughs> yeah, we'll find you some, like some parallel so <laughs> for that. It's just so much, geez, oh, wow, yeah, that's so a lot. To you know,
0: yeah, and then I'm running the business <laughs> I'm yeah, like showing up to all. work. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. No one tells you how. I mean, breastfeeding is a journey and it's different for everyone, but as someone who worked through both of my, you know, having two kids and, and breastfeeding for a little while and many other things, it was really tough to structure my day. Even with the pumping, I said, oh, okay, at noon, I'm going to pump at three and it just doesn't work that way. It's really tough. Um, so I found that really challenging. <laughs>
1: It's so hard, yeah. I mean I put yeah. it on my calendar. I tried to set timer like it's it's so hard to time it out, yeah, I just i I haven't figured that part out. I mean, I feel like i'm I'm doing a good job, but you know it really has freaked me out this week that my milk supply is is dropping, and I mean we have tons of frozen milk, so it's probably gonna be fine, but now I feel like now I have to work on getting my supply back up. That's the new project right now
0: always something power pumping yeah Yeah. (laughs) that saved me a few times power pumping lots of water it's tough and your body's just acclimating to those changes but it is amazing how even those changes where where your child is physically can impact your your milk supply and your stress and so many different things that's so interesting and then how are you feeling mentally as a as a mom of two
1: Hmm. That is a no one has asked me that. <laughs> and, um, mentally, I feel strong. I feel like a superhuman. I think is is like the best word I can say. Um, but it's just it's really hard. It's really really hard. And I think sometimes as a founder, I feel like. I know I spoke about a lot of my community and people that support me, but I don't really have anybody that's in the same moment experience at this exact time that I can talk to to understand exactly what's happening. Like I do have other founder friends, but maybe they're not VC backed or maybe um you know, they don't have as many employees or maybe they have one kid, you know, like the scenarios are all a little bit different. So it's not apples to apples. And sometimes it feels like, gosh, you know, I I want to just talk to somebody about all the things, but, you know, I can kind of only get some advice here and a little bit here based on, you know, what that person has experience
0: with. Totally. It's tough to piece it all together, you know, especially because when you're in The moment you're in, you're postpartum, you're still breastfeeding, you're transitioning to work. There's so many little things that are nuanced that only someone else who's in that exact same moment can understand. It's tough. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, even even my mom has like a completely different experience than me. You know, she wasn't a founder. Um, I don't even think she breastfed me. You know, there were a lot of things that were just different about her experience. So, you know, even she's like, wow. I, I yeah, I don't know what to tell you.
0: <laughs> you realize yeah. so much of it is within us and having people that can at least cheer us on and support us and really thinking about okay, I am a capable person, I can figure this out. And you mentioned that earlier. If you have that mentality of I can figure this out, you always can. So you have these two girls, what do you hope to teach them looking back on your journey thus far? So
1: in their rooms, our theme is, it's a women's empowerment theme. So there are pictures on their walls that are characters, caricatures of different successful women. So like Michelle Obama is on there and it's, it's like a, not a painting, but like a, a visual artist created these that we got on Etsy. It's really cool. Um, but Michelle Obama's on there. Oprah's on there, you know, just various people that are impactful in history. And so, you know, at least through my personal journey, even though I'm not actually on the wall, I hope that they see in their real life in a physical way, someone who is strong, someone who has, you know, been able to experience different aspects of their professional life that weren't so traditional. Um, I think many people, and one thing that my mom has, you know, always pushed for for me is don't just do the easy job. Don't just do the job that's just going to pay you well, like do something that you love because she felt like she didn't get to do that. She kind of took a job that, you know, supported her family and paid well. And, you know, she did that and didn't really love the work that she was in. And so, you know, I love what I do. I hope that my work makes a really you know, big impact. On the world in terms of inclusion and representation. And one, I hope that when they go to stores and look for nude, they don't have to die tights and pancake shoes and do all of those things. They will just have that representation available to them, whether it's D2C, you know, e commerce shopping or in physical stores. And then two, I just hope they see a strong woman that, you know, did a lot of great things that she wanted to do. And although it was hard, you know, I'm resilient and they can actually learn and see what that is. Because resilience is a muscle, I think.
0: It really is. And by the way, that is the most epic nursery theme I've ever heard. Thank you. I love that. What an amazing opportunity to just imbue that in your girls from day one. Wow. Well, you are truly a force. I'm so inspired by you. You're so calm and your energy is incredible for being where you are in life and you're doing so much and it's really important work so thank you and thank you for sharing your story with us today
1: thank you thanks for having me
0: thanks for tuning in to parallel lives Stay tuned for new episodes and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you like today's show, we'd be forever grateful if you take a moment to rate and review us. You can find us online at parallelhealth.com. That's P-E-R-E-L-E-L health.com or on Instagram at parallelhealth. I'm Alex Taylor, and you've been listening to Parallel Lives. Thanks so much for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by Parallel. We are a prenatal vitamin and supplement solution that adapts to your changing body's needs throughout your motherhood journey. All of our products offer the highest quality bioavailable ingredients at doctor recommended doses tailored to each unique phase, preconception, first trimester, second trimester, third trimester and postpartum and beyond because your prenatal vitamin shouldn't be one size fits all. Sign up for our newsletter at ParallelHealth.com to learn more.